Clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. This is Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. And tonight we're going to talk about the fourth episode of TNT's Snowpiercer. This one was called Without Their Maker. Do you get that reference? Do you know that reference? No, not off the top of my head. Do you, I'm sure you know. No, actually, no? I don't. Oh, okay. It seems like it refers to this absence of Wilford. It definitely makes sense the way the, the episode ended. That finally was revealed in the way that Layden discovers <laughs> that Melanie is Wilfred. But I liked the way that happened, and I'm sure we'll get into it. But yeah, just just as reference to the title, that was a main theme in this episode. <laughs> so this one had another cold open monologue with a side character. This one was the bartender uh, making sushi. And playing with knives and, and <laughs> giving us a speech about adaptation. All that seemed to tie into other stuff happening in this episode. Some literally with blade work, especially. <laughs> but then also adaptation kept coming up, especially where it applies to Melanie. Mm-hmm. Did anything about what they were talking about in that strike you in another way? I mean, I liked the way uh, when she's like, we roll and we hack, which they definitely hacked in this episode. And I think in terms of Melanie, we also got a little bit more insight in this episode, uh, like very little. But she tells Layden in one of the scenes, I come from a dirt farm in eastern Pennsylvania. And yeah. So that was kind of her way of telling Layden, hey, I'm not one of these spoiled rich people. Stop looking at me that way, I think, is what she was trying to get to. And and we, we see her again in the MIT sweatshirt. And I couldn't see the cap, but it, it said, like, I was thinking it was Yale Engineering. Is I don't know oh, if you caught that. I didn't notice. I was watching it on my phone, so much smaller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, it, and on the phone it's darker, and it was like a black cap. So, um, But I could only get the, like, A-L-E, so I figured it would be Yale Engineering since she went to MIT. So there's a lot of, like, her story of how she got there. Like, I want to know, and then ended up on Snowpiercer. So I'm sure she had to adapt and change. And and then the whole Wilford thing, too. Like, we don't know anything about how she ended up in that role and where he is or what happened to him. So I bet she, that's the story of her life right now (laughs) on Snowpiercer. I also thought it tied into what Mr. Folgers had to say. He had a, I think, a very important line that morality is a moving target these days. We had talked about that last week, actually. Um, I mean, referring to Terrence and Layton's mm-hmm. initial distaste for the man based on him being a drug dealer. But then after talking, they were like kind of seeing eye to eye <laughs> on some things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, adaptation, I think, uh, is part of that. In terms of the whole what Snowpiercer is, everyone had to adapt in some way. It feels like a lesson each time we like, get some of those uh, little cold openings. Yeah, for sure. So little exchange that she has, Melanie, with the engineer Bennett in her cabin. And later when he pretends to be Mr. Wilford and he says, I miss you, love. Um, I know that people from that part of the world, he sounds kind of British, say love without meaning anything quite as endearing as what we might mean it if we said it here in America. But 
Did you get the impression that they might have something additional to their professional relationship? I mean, that scene that I was referring to with Melanie in her, sweat- in her sweatshirt and cap, she's talking to Bennett in that scene and, and he's like, oh, you got to take a load load off, you know, like you ask for help, which basically just ask him for help. And right. I don't know the way that also Jennifer Connelly was playing it with like Melanie. It was just like so much sexual tension in that scene. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> if they haven't already, like they, I, I mean, I think they have, unless she's kept it strictly professional and it's just a tease, but it just seems like there is more to it because I was actually asking myself, why did she choose Bennett in terms of letting him in on the secret? And we haven't got that information yet. And so I don't know, like, why out of everybody else, like, she let him in unless he stumbled upon it. So, and also, I don't know if you've noticed, but she lets her guard down with him. Yeah. And she hasn't been like like that with anybody else. So I have to imagine that they have some sort of relationship, unless it's just uh, platonic, but I don't think so. What about you? Uh, It seemed like something closer. I mean, I can understand that she does need a deputy basically to be that person on the other end of the, on the call when she needs the Wilford play along (laughs) rodeo, (laughs) (laughs) but bringing him close enough to be that person would bring with it. Maybe some other things that he would know personally about her different from a purely platonic business relationship. So yes, I think, I, I think there is some, like you said, romantic tension there with them. So at the end of this episode, it's clear that she doesn't like um, leaving loose ends and people having information from what she does to Layden. That's clear. Yes. It just seems like he has to have some sort of mega power because or influenced over her for her to really trust someone else with the secret that she couldn't trust Layden with. I I wonder what Bennett's backstory is. We haven't got it yet, but I'm curious. (laughs) Yeah, we'll probably learn that in bits and pieces, maybe maybe even not a lot of it, because, I mean, we definitely need to know more about Melanie, and we're getting that in drips and drabs. And plus, like you mentioned about the dirt farm comment, given how things wound up, it's almost like she pre-planned needing to get him to trust her more, you know? So if she says, you know, I started out uh, in a pretty shitty position myself, um, (laughs) that's, I guess, a way of trying to bridge, you know? Yeah. The way it ended, it was expected in some way, but I also, we're only in episode four. Normally, I would have thought this would play out in like episode eight or nine in a 10 episode series. Me too. And so I'm so, so I'm so confused in terms of what else is there for six more episodes for the first season, because supposedly we found a killer, but did it feel that way for you? Cause I was just like, well, then what else is there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I th- I'm pretty sure we're, we got the right killer. You and I had kind of guessed that LJ was probably tied up in this somehow. We didn't quite go as far as knowing that she was kind of a, like a pleasure killer, uh, like a psychopath. But do you, but do you think that's it though? Because it just felt too easy. Like Nikki died, which I, I thought was a kind of a letdown in terms of they had built it up so much. And then we see that the, that Eric did kill her. And then but we need to know why Nikki died. Yeah, that's true. We haven't found that out yet. No, Nikki needed to die for some reason, apparently, but that's not very obvious just yet. The part that kind of tied her to LJ in Layton's mind, I think had to do with the blade that he found, the beekeeping blade. Mm-hmm. And, 
And then the fact that she knew so much about it (laughs) for it being such an obscure thing. It's so funny because I guess that was her privilege, right? She really thought she wouldn't be caught. Or if she was caught, that it wouldn't matter because they've been protected in first for so long. That she was so nonchalant about everything. Like, she even outed Eric. And I was wondering why... Like, was that part of her game, too, That think like, to think that Eric wouldn't get caught or if he got caught, it just wouldn't matter? Or, like, I guess she's just been so in the little bubble in first growing up on Snowpiercer that maybe she just has lost sight. Like, she doesn't have that moral compass that the dad alluded to in that sense. Have you heard of the term affluenza? Yes, she definitely had that. <laughs> All right. I thought that last episode, but I forgot to mention it. But this episode, just the way that she dealt with such a serious matter and the fact that she killed for pleasure all kind of added up to (laughs) – she's got a bad case. (laughs) Yeah, she's just bored and she's like, this is fun. (laughs) Basically, yeah. All right. So rewinding just a little bit, we went back to the night car for a little bit after Till figures out that the borders are closed. That was an interesting term, that the borders are closed. That means that the divisions between the classes are like sealed off so that wherever you are, that's where you are. Mm -hmm. And you're not going until they open back the, the borders. So there was a little moment there with Miss Audrey where... I didn't write down exactly what she said, but she told Melanie to basically cut the shit, I believe. Some, something like that. How is it that, that she can talk to Melanie this way? How do you think? I did write down a part of what she said. She said, many of us do want change. Well, that was she said that to Layden. But yeah. um, I don't know. It's interesting seeing the way people react to Melanie and the different ways that it's been revealed. There's just so much history. There's been seven years of history, right, on on the train that we don't know. And we are only seeing the end result of that right now through Layden. I don't know, but she bites her tongue like Melanie, but I feel like it's just a sinister like smile because she knows. <sighs> I don't know. Do you think she lets like someone like Miss Audrey talk to her like that because she knows she can, if she needs to kind of nip that in the bud, she can. Very much so. That's, I think that's part of it, but I think going back further, It wouldn't surprise me if we found out much later on that Audrey is is not only in on the Mr. Wilford scheme, but Mm. maybe helped come up with it or, you know, something like that. But she didn't want to be in charge of the train. She just wanted to be the Miss Audrey. That's just my guess. Uh, A possibility. Because that would explain why they're so... Why she could get away with saying something like that if they had been close once, you know? Yeah. So do you think there's a little group then that is possibly like a few more folks that know Melanie's secret? I do. Okay. I don't think it's restricted to Bennett. I think she needed him for the practical part, but conceptually, whatever the status is of Mr. Wilford, maybe he's maybe he's in long-term stasis. Maybe he's actually dead. Maybe he <laughs> flies in on a on on s- snow helicopter or something. I I don't know. But I think she might have needed help getting this going. Okay. Well, I do I mean the uh, what's the creepy doctor's name? Uh Henry. He is just so not mesmerized by Melanie, but there's like, I think he's off a little bit just in general because of what he does. And I think it's just messed with him being with dead bodies and all that. And who knows if he was like that beforehand, but she will tell him something almost like a childlike, like, please do this for me. Or, you know, like, um, yeah. And it's just like, he kind of bends to her will. And I wonder 
that relationship too is a little bit odd and we've seen that play out in some ways but that one too so i wonder if that's also part of like the original plan because maybe he had to do something to mr wilford as well who knows (laughs) that's an excellent excellent point he would be the one in charge of caretaking making sure that he was okay if he's in a drawer Mm -hmm. so how could you avoid making him involved (laughs) you know so yeah that's a great great catch Yeah. And also he's so, um, when Nikki died, obviously he was distraught, but he was more distraught than a normal person taking care of like the patient would be. And so there's just so like, he's so emotional. So it just seems very like that struck me in this episode where he's just so very odd. (laughs) And then the relationship he has with Melanie is just, I don't know. I, I, I feel like there's something more there too than we're seeing. This episode was full of stuff, lots of little things to catch. One of those things was back in the tail, something that we didn't get quite right last week. We thought it was drug K that got passed to Josie, but it turned out to be something called a blue chip. Did you understand what a blue chip was and what it what its function was? There's so many terms, so it's kind of hard to like wrap my head around, but that's what made her uh, was able to go through the... Because they wrapped... She ends up going to, um, not third, but like whatever the sanitation level is, right? That's how she was able to get to to the front with that chip yeah 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 okay so maybe they are like lower level maybe chips or maybe maybe chips are just embedded in your skin and you use them like like as kind of like uh Kind of like when you when you key fobs uh, or like right the, or or like Apple Pay, you know when you yeah <laughs> when you, <laughs> yeah yeah definitely that, some, that that's it because then she had put it on the wrist like basically so I think that's what it was aha so like last episode when we saw the dude cut something out of a cadaver's hand and it made its way to Terrence. Doesn't that make a lot of sense now, what that yeah, was? Yes, that was it. And then if you do notice, I think um, when, I'm sh- we'll get to it, but the Eric Chase scene, they put a lot of, like, he puts his wrist on the on the key things too. So I think they all are chipped. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> right. If you're listening to this now, instead of in Snowpiercer times, chipped means like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I couldn't think of a what better way to say it. <laughs> There's some rigmarole, but we wind up getting to get into the Folgers' room. But before that, we get to see that really interesting exchange. Uh, we already talked about the Wilford ruse, but what was more interesting was that on the spot, um, Melanie had to come up with something that would make Lila, Mrs. Folgers, just retract her demand to talk to Mr. Wilford. (laughs) You know, just make it so scary that she said, no, no, never mind. Forget it. What do you think about that whole thing, about the the way that Melanie's been able to, everyone on that, on on, at least in first class and like some of the officers and stuff, they haven't seen Wilford in years and they take Melanie's word on it. Like that situation... Lila was so outraged and really wanted to speak to Wilford. And Melanie, like, the exchange that she's having doesn't seem too bad. Like, she does say the right, like, oh, yeah, she's insisting and, and things like that. So I wonder the Wilford before, maybe the the wrath of him and the memory of that is just so powerful that it's been able to exist so long and Melanie's been able to hold the ruse because of that. But it just seems a little odd that they don't question Melanie 
like where is he really does he even exist you know those kind kind of conversations it, it reminds me of a story uh, my wife Caroline has about her teenage years you know all teenagers question everything around them right especially even deeper matters like being born into religion and then questioning is this the right religion for me right and so my mm-hmm. Caroline ha- had that discussion with her mom and she said okay well we can talk about switching religions i'll get the priest on the phone (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah the conversation ended (laughs) (laughs) but how many times has that happened though i guess maybe it doesn't happen as often as i'm thinking in my head because i watch too much tv but (laughs) and in this situation it makes more it makes sense and i'm just thinking too much into it but to me it just seems like they're first class as well and you would think that they would want wilford's presence yeah well i mean it's been normalized the way that she has doled out quote-unquote wilfordisms (laughs) the whole time to the point where maybe don't expect to talk to him unless it's a big deal just the way that she phrased it, she turned it around on Mrs. Folders to be like, she's not being cooperative. And now, now, would you like to talk to her? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Given what Audrey was telling Layden about um, people want change and stuff, it's just hard to believe that people are going to want more eventually, which I'm sure will unfold in the season. <laughs> Did you ever watch Downton Abbey? Yes. Does this class system and the way that they were talking remind you of that British class structure because it does me yeah it does especially when uh bess was talking to um i forgot her name the bartender yeah it's funny because i thought they were gonna when they were they were in bed together again and and they were like oh you don't want to be seen with me and all that stuff and i was thinking it's because maybe the lesbian (laughs) you know thing like that was (laughs) taboo but um it wasn't that wasn't the taboo subject it was more like oh but i'm from third and the third is not gonna see me being with the second and i thought that was very interesting because the classes on there on snowpiercer are more important than any you know race or or what you do or who you do it with it's all about where you come from and that's the same in like the british structure too yeah if if it works out that sean bean is mr wilford that explains a lot (laughs) (laughs) I mean, right? he he's an IMDb, so please, I hope he comes out eventually. <laughs> I was leading up to the Folgers cabin. All throughout his, his experience in First, Leighton seems to make a show of wanting to put them on their toes, make them uncomfortable with what he does. You know, like eating their food, drinking right out of their cups and things like that. And the way that he tosses Eric's bunk area is also pretty showy, you know, like paging through a paperback and then just tossing it on the ground or whatever. Do you think that worked? Do you think that served the purpose that he, that he wanted it to? Yeah. I mean, I think Layden has proven that he's a really good detective and he knows like whatever he did in the outside, he knows how to shake people. He knows how to read, he, he can read people. And I think he knows that his actions will bring that person that he's looking for, who's the guilty out of the woodwork, which it did because um, everyone was acting appalled, and the only one who who liked what he was doing was LJ, which ended up being the psycho killer. So, <laughs> so I think his objective definitely worked because that was basically just to suss out who would get riled up, who would be uncomfortable, all those little signs that he was probably hoping would come about from him doing that. That's a good call. That he needed to see how they would react when they were 
being defensive and what was expected and what was not. Yeah, and it's funny because you can also see him um, every scene where he's interacting in like a big group too. He is always looking at Melanie too to see how she reacts to them reacting or someone being crazy. And then he always looks at her too, which I love because their looks are so... Like they tell so much with just like them like nodding or the eyes together, and right. that has been some of my favorite scenes between uh, Davie Diggs and and Jennifer Connelly because it's like they say so much with nothing, or he's just looking and just reading her too because he's investigating her as well, even yeah. though he needs the information because he's doing his own investigation for the tail section is what he's thinking. So when they found the J-Blade and she knew so much about it, do you think she was sold out at that point? Like he knew and he just needed to get a little bit more? Or do you think it came later or before that? I think the fact that she was the one that said Eric was missing. And I think the way that she was kind of just like laughing and enjoying it. And then the way she also referred to the blade and, and... I don't know. LJ was just so weird in this episode that if you didn't think it was her, I think you would be something. Something was wrong, you know? There was something about what she was doing. Like, did you ever watch the original Twin Peaks? I saw some of it, yeah. Uh, do you remember the character Audrey Horn? Mm-hmm. She did the same kind of shit, and she was definitely crazy, you know? The, like, just kind of dancing without any context or anything to yeah. it you know like that whole thing i couldn't tell if she was trying to be seductive or or, or yes. what with him <laughs> yes that was it was so because i was like oh no i don't want this cringe fest you know and then <laughs> and then i realized oh she's just freaking psycho and i was like you're giving it away and obviously you don't care but that's just because of the privilege and what she thought was gonna not happen and so that whole scene after i think he just was like oh this is the girl She's the one. I, I really like that scene, though, because after I got over the little cringy at the beginning, because I didn't know what she was doing, um, <laughs> right. it was really cool the way, like, the music started playing, and then she was just, like, she played it well. I don't, um, I can't recall the actress's name, but what did you think of how she played it? Because it could have been, it could have gone really wrong, and I think she did pretty well. I'm glad it didn't go to, like, a lap dance kind of area, which is yeah. kind of, it started to look like it might head that way. It was uncomfortable enough with her just kind of wriggling around the way she was. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because what they were talking about was really deadly serious stuff. And she's just cutting a rug over there. On, on And and uh, it made me know, like, aside from having a, a, a an entanglement with her bodyguard, she's probably crazy. Yeah. Yeah. She definitely is psycho. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a little that's a little harsh, but I, I guess also, I mean, the way she's grown up, though, Snowpiercer, and I mean, I can't imagine there's much to do there besides, you know, the normal. And being a kid growing up on that, knowing nothing of the outside world in terms of, like, what you used to do, at least the adults know, like, how it was so they can kind of keep their class and, and you know, they keep their structure but as a child, I'm sure no matter what class she's in, she just went crazy, unfortunately, in that so in the Snowpiercer situation. Does she look about, I don't know, 17 to you, something in that range? Yeah, I was thinking she was about that age. She would have been about 10 when Eric apparently beat some people to death on the way to, into, train, into the Snowpiercer. Yeah, 
that whole Eric thing too is just because we saw that in what the first episode or the second episode when uh-huh. they had that exchange and we knew something was going on. But yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. So I am curious to see what they end up doing with her because we didn't see her get into a drawer. Oh no, we saw her in her cell. Yeah. So she might be still be able to get free. So we don't know. Now the the moment. Uh, like we don't have commercials, but other people have commercials. And <laughs> r- right before the commercial break, she tried to position herself as a friend of the resistance, right? Were you at all sold on Andre being sold on that? So I, I didn't think he was going to take her up on that offer because it just seemed too good. I think, though, he learned that that's the way she was able to do this whole scheme and just the way Snowpiercer works is people do bad things, but then they get out of it by doing that exchange for other goods. So I think it was just more telling for him and he was just going along with it so he could get more information. Good thinking. Yeah. I didn't know how this was all going to end up. Like, I didn't think that they were going to wrap up the murder in four episodes, but I didn't think that he was going to take her offer seriously or anything. Yeah, because his advantage is, uh, well, for her, she thought, oh, he's coming from the tail section. He has nothing. Like, why wouldn't he take me up on this offer? And so what she did is underestimate him and what he has in mind for himself on how he was going to get out of his whole situation. (laughs) So, yeah. So yeah, that was her being naive. <laughs> so alongside all this, Eric is making his way out of the drawers, into the subtrain, getting into trouble. There's been some discussion of firearms on the train, and you can see why. It looks like the train might be pressurized or something, and so you know, holes in it are a bad thing. So it's so it's weird that the bodyguards were allowed to keep their firearms because when the jackboots move in. It looked like they were using like sharp hammers, like climbers would use mm-hmm. as weapons. I don't know why they would let these random, well, not random. They're the first class bodyguards, but it just seems like a safety hazard. <laughs> I mean, I mean, firearms. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If no one, if no one, um, I don't know, especially with Melanie and Wolford and the order that she keeps talking about, the fact that there are people who have uh, weapons just seems like it doesn't. It's not cohesive to the order. (laughs) So that's just also another little tidbit that's being revealed of what people are allowed, like the first class perks and what else is there hidden? Because now we know there's those, um, the B thing. Yeah, the J blade. The J blade in a crate and people know about him. So (laughs) there's like just so much, so many weapons everywhere. But the gun thing is interesting because it's like, who else has those guns? Oh, there was something. I don't know if it's significant, but okay. when, when Eric was, um, he, I guess he was in that section where he, where the, there was like candles or something when he was hiding out. And there was like a close up of him with his, uh, like his boot and what he stepped on. Uh-huh. And it just seems like, why would they focus on that? I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, I did. And I don't know what it was. That whole scene had me going down a line of thinking that wasn't accurate. Like, uh, I thought he was going to hide the gun in that area. He did not. And the way that they focused on his feet made you think the flooring was significant or something about his boots. But I couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah, like, I wonder if that's going to play out later in episodes or if that was just, I don't know, a shot that they wanted to make different. But it just yeah. felt like they, they emphasized whatever that sticky stuff was. 
that I was like, is this going to play out sometime? Not necessarily in this episode, but like later on. Probably. I think like we've mentioned, like with the chip and all that being shown to us last episode and then being a little more fleshed out this episode, I think they're going to do a good job of taking those kinds of things and make them work over a course of episodes rather than just be like, see, remember, we told you about this thing earlier today and now we're showing <laughs> you how it works, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. Yeah. So like alongside the whole Folgers interview Eric is getting run down. And when they call that in to Melanie, LJ kind of reacts disproportionately to how she had been positioning herself, I guess, with Eric. Yeah, Oscar-winning performance of crying and caring and and just kind of, that's a, what, sociopath behavior? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. This episode was really good, but I keep emphasizing it, but the looks that people were giving each other were yeah. just so good um without any dialogue like you could just you knew what was happening because she's crying and then she just like looks up at uh Layden basically saying like oh I'm I'm doing an act and he's like oh this this bitch basically <laughs> um, <laughs> is what I read um and and then uh and then you know she thinks it's gonna play out she's the victim whatever and then Layden gets up that's when she points he points with his head like nods over to Melanie hey, it's her, without even saying anything. And then Melanie gives, like, the nod, and then she brings in the guards. And I thought that the way the whole scene played out was so cool. It was so subtle. Because they could have done dialogue with it, but it just... Well, it I like showed... The cho- it, I, yeah, I like the choices. Yeah, it showed it showed that he and Melanie had come to some a level of understanding that they didn't mm-hmm. have before. So yeah. I think it's that she got into his head a little bit. And got him to trust her more than he had before. They were a good team, like that, like for that second. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for that moment there, they were like, "Hey, we're we're uh, we're doing well together," but um, that partnership didn't last long. <laughs> All right, before we get to the very end, we need to mention that Josie had a whole adventure in this episode. Uh, sneaking around kind of in the work corridors, which also reminded me of Downton Abbey, right? The, yes. the, uh, the Where the servants got around was different than where the people got around. And she connects with someone named Astrid, uh, a child apprentice who had gone forward some amount of time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and now Astrid is going to be their their source in the front. Uh, I Somehow I think that this is going to be a, a bad career choice for her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, possibly. <laughs> but for the time being, they've got her. There was also a, a short scene there where Josie and Miles come within inches of each other, but Miles is talking with maybe a foster brother or something about mm-hmm. about mom, and so he's highly distracted very painful stuff to hear if he used to call you mom like 10 yeah. minutes ago. Oh. Yeah, that was really sad. I want to go back to the, eventually, uh, the Eric death of how he died. But Okay, um, sure. Um, because I think him getting hacked and them not leaving him alive is very suspicious too. <laughs> oh, well, that's worth talking about because they could have just clubbed him. They could have mm-hmm. used... 
I would assume that they have any number of non-lethal kinds of things like riot police used today. I know that's a very topical thing going on right now. But, I mean, just in general, yeah. the, the sorts of things like the, the mace, the, the glue, I guess, that they can use to kind of immobilize people. There are a lot of options to put a person down in a way that they're not dead. Yeah, and there was like six of them and one of him. Like, they could have just knocked him out taken him in for questioning but it seemed and that's i was just thinking about it because do you think that was an order from melanie to um the officers like if you find him just kill him you think that was like her overall without us seeing that take place but just kind of a directive so because she doesn't want people talking that's a good question very good question because you know she seemed very earnest with andre that she wanted this solved with the right person and, and the right parties having to pay for this. But there's also some amount of secrets that we think are being kept additionally <laughs> to, to, to that motivation for justice. Mm-hmm. And, and so an order to, to kill him rather than bring him in alive would make sense if there were those kind of in, entangled secrets behind the scenes. What do you think? It just struck me because they, like it said in the beginning, the opening scene, we roll and we hack and they were hacking Eric to death. And it just seems so extreme that this is somebody that is a suspect. I mean, we know that he probably did kill. I mean, that at that point, they probably know that he did kill Nikki. I would think that they would want to question him or at least if they were trying to do an earnest investigation, let Layden see him and question him. But they never gave him that option. And so it just seemed like they had been told or um, this is the way it goes is just just kill him and we'll just blame it on the fact that he was like running attacking us. Yeah. 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 Sorry, that just came in my head. I didn't want to forget it. (laughs) No, that's a good call. That's a good point. They highly did not need to kill him. You know, Mm -hmm. just several. I mean, he had him outnumbered, but they came at him with killing weapons. Those blades were those aren't subduing weapons <laughs> like the, the I don't know if you noticed in your uh, screener, but they had little fountains of blood every time they, they pulled out. the, the <laughs> Yeah. The <blade. laughs> yeah. Like it was, and they, they lingered on that shot for a long time, like longer than I would have thought they would. So to me, it was just like emphasizing that was a directive in some way, because it just seemed odd to me that the, I, I forgot what the, the officer's uh, name is. Um, Roche. Roche. It just seemed odd that Roche wouldn't call in to Melanie and let her know, hey, we have Eric in custody, you know, in, in, in custody. It's like, oh, he called after they killed him. So it just seemed like very off. It, it seems like that was a Melanie type thing. <laughs> Excellent call. Um, uh, I bet we come back to that later this season. Yeah, she, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> All right. So let's get to that very ending scene. I did not see this coming since i didn't expect that they would wrap up this murder in four episodes i thought they could like you know laura palmer it and make it last forever (laughs) or at least a season so yeah it gets she figures out that he figures out that she's wilford (laughs) that's a handful that's a mouthful (laughs) yeah yeah and then she does the old uh the poison's already on the glass <laughs> routine, I guess, with him. Because she drinks the same sake. I kind of love the way that ended, or yeah. the way she kind of takes him out, because he is really good at what he does, and she knows that. But she was able to still pull one over him, and that hurts a little. <laughs> but I don't know, this episode, the fact that they did wrap up the killer in four episodes, 
it just made me wonder like what else is there coming and then when they what else is coming in the later episodes so when she did that to him i was like okay there's gonna be a lot more in terms of like i guess melanie and, and is i don't know is he gonna focus more on melanie now um but basically she didn't kill him though and she's not putting him under the mega sleep or, or whatever. She yeah. she tells Henry, don't ruin him. So she knows that going under the sleep ruins people, just like it did to Nikki. But she purposely is like, I guess, putting him like maybe in a lighter sleep. Yeah, I personally don't think we're going to be without Andre Layden very long. I don't know if we're going to find another murderer or another dismembered body, and they're going to be like, oh, shit, this is more than we thought. I don't know, because we seem to have a pretty good explanation for the current dismembered body. But that's a long way of saying, I think we're going to have Andre to kick around sooner than later. Yeah, they can't not have Layden, because <laughs> I went to IMDb, and he's in 10 episodes. So I hope that means that he's going to come back in the next episode. <laughs> Even though IMDb is not correct all the time, but I... Yeah, they fudge it sometimes. Yeah, they they do that on purpose. So um, who knows, right? But it's interesting, though, because by putting him in the whatever sleep or whatever state and by doing that to him, I mean, if they end up waking him up at all, like, I mean, obviously, what's going to happen? She has to kill him. So why do you think he's she's even keeping him alive in that sense? Well, he is uniquely useful amongst the people that she has available to her. Could she get along without those skills? Probably. Um, But you never know. There might be something that comes up that needs that kind of analytical thinking that no one else around her has. But by doing that to him, why would he agree to... Well, I guess he has no choice, right? On Snowpiercer. (laughs) But like, like, he'll be able to blab to all the first class people, like, knowing that secret. Unless she threatens him by waking him up and says, I'm going to kill Miles or Josie or whoever or the tail section, which seems like she she can pull that card anytime. And he, of course, has to comply. Well, maybe it was just plain old power, power play, you know, mm, like, yeah, like she could wake him up for no reason in a week and be like, see, I, I can do that to you anytime. <laughs> just just keep that in mind. Yeah, actually, I love that. I hope it's that. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, the very last bit is in the tail, and um, we get the message that Leighton's missing. Bum, bum, bum. Do you think that'll cause anything back there? Like, I don't know, a reason to bring him out would be to talk down the tail, perhaps. But why would she go to all that trouble just for that? <laughs> it just seems kind of pointless. Mm, um, yeah, it, do, it does take some of the uh, effects away from that power play as a, as a whole. Or do you think maybe by putting him to sleep... Like, maybe she didn't know that he would figure out the myth of her being Wilford so quickly or at all. And so she just wants time to think of how to proposition him when she, you know, does wake him up or something. That's a pretty legit guess because she can think on her feet. She's proven that. But this is much bigger than that. This is potentially bringing in not only an outsider into the, the Mr. Wilford club, but someone that actually would like to tear all that down. Because she knows there's unrest in the first class and other classes in terms of probably people questioning her leadership and whether they like her or not. So I feel like Layden would be a pretty good ally to have, but maybe she just needs a way to think that she can control him, like she does with the others, like Henry and Bennett and some of the other folks on in, in her little circle. I like that idea. Now that the murder's solved, what do you... 
like is there what is what is there to look forward to besides that i don't know that's my guess is is that the tale maybe they don't have it in them to go through another bloody revolt mm-hmm. but maybe they do have it in them to stop sending forward like sanitation workers or something like that just like a sit-in basically and that starts to cause a problem for the rest of the train because they realize that they were a little more dependent on the tail than they thought they were I think by ending the murder in the fourth, this fourth episode, I think it definitely shifts what I thought the show was going to be. Yeah. Um, and I like that. I think it makes it much more interesting now because I thought it was going to be a whole murder, like you said, for the 10 episodes or for whatever, for however long. And this makes me wonder what there is and makes me want to keep watching. We it talked about in the first episode, the idea of this being like part police procedural with with the sci-fi element layered on top of that and that could make the show go on forever but i uh, but i could tell you that i don't watch police procedurals i don't really give a shit about them (laughs) yeah me either (laughs) (laughs) so i'm glad i'm like you said i'm glad that there's a twist here and now i've aside from that one guess about the tale acting in some way and i have not been right on very many guesses uh, <laughs> uh like for instance i thought that the damage to the train would have something to do with future episodes they didn't even talk about it at all this episode i know yeah they didn't and um but i think that's coming though i, I it has to be coming because they couldn't have mentioned it and it just be i think that's an over one of those um, season arcs is just like uh, something will happen eventually with that. Yeah, I think so. All right. Do you have any predictions yourself, Kat? I think this threw me off, but I think it's going to be Melanie and the order that she is always talking about, you know, because she's like, now everything's back in order. I feel like with the Audrey and Layden interaction of her saying people are, you know, people are looking for change. I think that might start happening in these maybe in the next episode or the upcoming episodes. Um, because I think if people liked Layden's, some people might've liked Layden's presence. And if he goes missing now, that might cause unrest too. Not even, in, not just in the tail section, but in third, second class. And maybe that's what's going to happen in the next few episodes. Like, I think you're saying that he's sort of become a symbol to some mm-hmm. people. And that the abrupt loss of that symbol is is going to fuck with people. Yeah. For some people on there that maybe have not voiced their um, disdain for what the system is, definitely probably saw him as like, oh, okay, we can turn to him. Or maybe there'll actually be accountability for the things that have happened. And I think it is going to be... I mean, if the fact that Astrid found out so quickly, that means people are talking about it. So that just is kind of a sign of possibly what things to come because i'm just i mean i'm just guessing but it it, it seems like just now that the murder's gone i'm kind of really like what is gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) right right well we'll be there next week for episode five of snowpiercer trying to figure out where the chips fell so this has been paul with pod clubhouse and this is cat with shuffle online and we'll see you next time thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Ah.